Um, last week we heard that um, how followers of Christ are called to a cruciform life, and we looked at Mark's gospel, uh, the dialogue between Jesus and his disciples on the way to Jerusalem, where Jesus was going to be crucified. And we saw how Jesus had to, again and again, drum into his self-centered, self-serving disciples uh, what it meant to follow him, that it meant denying self and taking up their cross, which he later defined as a life of sacrificial love in service of others. So not serving self, but serving others. Because as Jesus went on to explain, he said, even the Son of Man, even Jesus, the Son of God himself, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give up his life as a ransom for many. So that's what a cruciform life looks like. It's about denying self, serving others with the love of Christ, and for the sake of Christ. But it's not a life that's meant to be lived in isolation. Uh, We're not just called to a cruciform life, but to a cruciform community. And that's what I want us to look at uh, this morning. Okay, In Titus 2.14, the Apostle Paul says that Jesus Christ gave himself for us, that's what he did on the cross, to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people, not just individuals, but a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. And uh, John starts commenting on that in his classic book, The Cross of Christ, says this, he says, thus, The very purpose of his self-giving on the cross was not just to save isolated individuals and so perpetuate their loneliness, but to create a new community whose members would belong to him, love one another, and who would eagerly serve the world. And Stock goes on to say how conversion to Christ means conversion to the community of Christ, that you cannot separate the two any more than you can separate a head from its body and expect to live, right? And Christ, the Bible says, is our head, and we are his body. So if we belong to the head, then we belong to his body. And what that means in practice is belonging to a local church where we are committed to living this cruciform life together. Again, uh, listen to John Stott. He says, The community of Christ is the community of the cross. Having been brought into being by the cross, it continues to live by and under the cross. All right, so what then does a cruciform community look like? Well, there's a lot one could say about that, but I just want to highlight three things. Three things, I think, for us to consider, okay? First of all, a cruciform community is an imperfect community. If you are looking for the perfect church, then give up now, okay? Because even if you were to find one, the moment you joined it, it would then become imperfect, (laughs) right? Uh, C.H. Spurgeon actually said that about himself. He said, if there was such a thing, the moment I joined, it would cease to be perfect. 
Uh, Scott Sauls, who was the teaching pastor with Tim Keller's church, said this. He said, membership in a local church, he says, means joining your imperfect self to many other imperfect selves to form an imperfect community that, through Jesus, embarks on a journey toward a better future together. So if you have thoughts and failings this morning, then welcome. You fit right in here, all right? But we invite you to join us on this journey as we seek to follow Jesus in loving others and in serving the world about us. Right? We don't want to just be a community that sits around sharing how messed up we are and then call that being authentic, all right? Um, we are called to deny self and to take up our cross and follow Jesus. We're on a journey. Uh, but we need to recognize that we need each other to do that. Right? It's something that we do together. So that's the first thing. It's an imperfect community. The second thing is that it's a diverse community. Diversity is at the heart of a cruciform community because it's the cross that brings diverse people together in unity. It's through the cross that we are reconciled vertically to God and horizontally to one another. Um, Paul writes this in Ephesians 2 verse 15. He says that Christ's purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two. And the two there, he's referring to the Jews and the Gentiles. The Gentiles being all the other different people, groups, and races in the world. And uh, between which there is so much hostility. Not just between Jews and Gentiles, but between many different nations and races. And so Christ's purpose was to create this new humanity, uh, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. Um, if we're truly embracing the cross, then it should lead us to embrace others who are different to us. Because dying to self means dying to the pride and the prejudices that we may have carried. You see, the cross is the great leveler. The cross is the great uh, unifier. It's the great reconciler. And that was not a popular message in the first century. Um, when Paul wrote uh, Galatians 3.28, he said this. He said, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, that was not a marketing tactic for church growth. That was an unpopular message. That was actually a revolutionary message in a culture where there were very clear divisions between race and class and gender. And what Paul is saying here is that in Christ, all those divisions have been removed. He wasn't saying that there are no longer any distinctions Right? It doesn't mean that male and female are now somehow interchangeable, but that the barriers that separate people and make people feel superior to others or inferior, those barriers, those divisions have been obliterated through the cross. That's what he's saying. 
And so a cruciform community, the community that Jesus died to create, is a community where diverse people are valued and included. And that's not just different races and nationalities, as we heard from Galatians 2. Uh, that may include different generations, social status, singles, married, male, female, including those who may be same-sex attracted and those who may struggle with gender dysphoria. We are all united in Christ through the cross. The, cru- the cruciform community is a diverse community. The third thing it is, is an uncomfortable community to be in at times, Right? And that's not just because people are imperfect and different from us. Some people are just plain awkward and annoying, right? I mean, just welcoming one another is awkward, isn't it? I mean, you've got some people want to give you a big hug and maybe a little too enthusiastically. And those, sometimes you've got to hug someone and they'll quickly sidestep you and give you a little nice side modest hug. You go, whoa, what had just happened there? Some people might reach out your hand to shake them and they'll give you a fist bump instead and you just don't really know what to do. It's just awkward. Some people are just a little bit too into their worship for other people, right? That's a little uncomfortable as well. When people are shouting out next to you or hopping up and down or speaking in tongues, you know. I think we had some uh, flag wavers once. I think we drove them out. But... um, (laughs) And then there's the person who just talks about themselves for 15 minutes straight without drawing a breath, you know. Or the person who seems to dominate your small group discussion. Church is made up of people of different personalities, got different views, different backgrounds. You know, we've got left brain people here, right brain people. We've got introverts and extroverts. We've got Democrats and Republicans. We've got Presbyterians and Pentecostals. Right? We are all one big family. But it's why church can sometimes be a little uncomfortable. Because we're called to love people who we may clash with at times. All right? We would probably all prefer to be in an iChurch, as I mentioned last week. Right? A community where everyone is made in my image. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Wouldn't that? Well, not for you, but it would be for me. Right, where everyone looked like me and talked like me and worshipped like me and had the same views and interests as me, that would be a whole lot more comfortable, wouldn't it? Right, but unfortunately, that's not biblical. God did not call us to a comfy Christianity; He called us to a cross. And so, bearing the cross means bearing with one another in love. Right, it means embracing. And loving this wonderful, imperfect, diverse, awkward community that we ourselves are a part of. Amen? But sadly, you know, that is a commitment that many professing Christians are not prepared to make. Um, They may attend churches, but maybe not really want to get too involved, too engaged. And if things get too uncomfortable, they'll just leave. But when you think about it, isn't that just a reflection of the relational breakdown that is taking place right across our society today? Particularly in marriages and in families. Why is that? Well, listen to Joseph Hellerman uh, in his book, When the Church Was a Family, his observation. He says, 
I suggest that it's the unique orientation of Western culture. He then says, particularly the American culture, and he later defines what that orientation of our culture is, and he defines it as radical individualism. That's the orientation of our culture, he says. Um, It's basically where my personal dreams and my happiness and my self-fulfillment takes precedence over everyone else. That is a uniquely Western perspective. And yet he says it's this orientation that best explains our propensity to abandon rather than work through the awkward and painful relationships we so often find ourselves in. And so we leave and withdraw rather than stay and grow up. I think that's true. It means that if we're going to push back against the culture, that instead of leaving and withdrawing, we need to stay and grow up. And some of you will remember the message I gave here a few weeks ago on the body of Christ uh, called It's Time to Grow Up. And we looked there at Ephesians uh, chapter 4 where Paul makes it very clear that one of the main goals for a church body is to become mature so that we're no longer spiritual infants. And this is what he says, Ephesians 4.15. He says, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to Grow up in every way into him who is the head, that is, into Christ, from whom the whole body, that's us, joined and held together by every joint with which it's equipped. Can you imagine that? Meaning all the relationships that we have with one another. When each part is working properly, when each member of the body is playing their part, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. You know, we love talking about how Jesus accepts us just as we are, don't we? And it's true. He totally accepts you as you are. But he doesn't want you to remain as you are. He loves you far too much for that. He doesn't want you to remain as a spiritual infant because, you know, he's got so much more for you to do. He wants, he wants to speak to you. He wants to commune to you. He's got things he wants to use you for that you probably hardly even imagined. And, but it means growing up. It means becoming mature, becoming more and more like Jesus. And so can I ask you this morning, um, are you growing? Are you growing in your faith? Are you Uh, growing in the fruit of his spirit, the spirit of Jesus, growing in love, in in your love for him and love for others, Uh, growing in joy, in peace, uh, patience, kindness, goodness. Are you growing in faithfulness, in gentleness, Uh, Or what about self-control? Are you growing in these things? Is there more evidence of these things in your life today than there was five years ago? Right? Are you growing up to be more and more like Jesus? And, And if not, why not? Why not? You see, what Ephesians 4 here is telling us is that we need one another to grow. 
That's what that body analogy is about. We need one another to grow. See, maybe that's the issue. Spiritual growth can only take place in the context of this cruciform community where we are committed to following Jesus in his mission and helping one another to become more and more like him along the way. And that includes speaking the truth in love. You notice Paul says that very specifically in the context of us growing up. Speaking the truth in love. So, for example, if you go to one of our community groups and there's someone there who irritates you, right? Maybe Jack, you know, just dominates the discussion every week and you start to resent it and wonder why you bother coming, you know, to group each week. Uh, You've got a choice to make. Like Hellerman said, you know, you can either, you know, withdraw, you could leave, or you can stay and grow up and, and hopefully help others to grow up in the process. Um, but that might mean speaking the truth in love and being honest with Jack, uh, of course, in a very loving and gentle way. But it might mean you taking him aside and saying, you know, Jack, you know, you obviously know your Bible really well and... Uh, and you've got so many good things to say. And I just want to say how much I appreciate your contributions each week. But, you know, so often it, 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 it means that, uh, that I and others really don't have, there's not a whole lot of time for us to contribute as well. And, um, and so sometimes I wonder, you know, I, I just tend to go quiet and I wonder why I bother coming. And, but I know that's wrong, so I just felt I should talk to you uh, about it. Now, how many of you here would find that awkward? How many of you feel uncomfortable at the thought of that? I knew, I mean, I knew, I know some of you are feeling very uncomfortable right now. Uh, That may have induced a panic attack in one or two, uh, the thought of that. Uh, Some of you may already be making a mental list of other churches nearby that you want to check out, right? Or maybe you're Jack and you're just wondering what's going to happen this week at Community Group, right? By the way, um, I would expect a community group leader to have that kind of conversation just to relieve any anxiety, okay? But the point is, when things do get difficult, you find yourselves in you know, difficult situations like that, should you avoid those situations? Uh, should you just withdraw from groups or avoid certain people, find a new church, stay in your comfort zone at all costs? How many of you know that growth does not come through being comfortable, right? I mean, think about it. When you're learning um, a new skill, for example, uh, like a sport, or maybe uh, dancing, you know, like ballet or something like that, or or learning an instrument, or learning to surf, all right? You know that growth in those things does not come by way of comfort, right? Growth comes when we push ourselves, um, when we embrace the discomfort, the, the frustration uh, and the pain, right? It means not quitting. It means not giving up. It means getting back on the surfboard. It might mean taking on board, receiving constructive criticism. It means staying in the game. No pain, no gain, right? Listen to uh, Brett McCracken in his book, Uncomfortable, which as you guessed, uh, may have some bearing on this message, right? He says this. He says, Often the way a church challenges us or makes us uncomfortable 
is precisely the reason why it is good for us. Rather than excuses to leave or break up, perhaps we should lean into the aspects of the relationship that make us squirm. Perhaps we should lean into the challenge and discomfort of committing to an imperfect and sometimes infuriating church. Now, let's just be clear here, right? We're not talking about a church that is unhealthy or has abusive leadership, right? You certainly shouldn't lean into that. You should probably leave that, all right? But a church that's seeking to teach the truth in a grace-filled way, a church that is seeking to uh, have you know, biblical practices, a church that is seeking to follow Jesus as a cruciform community, uh, that kind of church is likely to be challenging and uncomfortable at times. But what I'm saying is that that is not necessarily a bad thing. That's not a bad thing. That can be a good thing. Right? See, if you want to change your life for the better, you need a church that's going to challenge you to grow and not just affirm you as you are. But that means leaning into your discomfort right, rather than avoiding it. It means leaning into those aspects of church life that might make you squirm. What are those things for you, I wonder? I suspect it might be all kinds of different things for different people. But let me just give you three things to go with, okay, by way of application that I think should apply to all of us. Three things that we, I think, should lean into. Number one is relationships. That's got to be number one, isn't it? Relationships. If we're going to build a community and grow together, it means being more willing to share our lives with one another. That might mean being more hospitable, opening up your home uh, to others and not just your friends, right? Being more intentional about getting to know others um, in the church, people who are different from you. Uh, come to Celebration New England in July, right? That's where we all get together as one big diverse church family, right? Why not lean into that? It means loving one another in practical ways, uh, that might mean being open-handed about your money and your possessions. And when you see someone in need, seeking to meet that need rather than just adding to your existing comfort. Um, and just to say, I hear stories of people who are so uh, generous to other people in the church where there's need. It's just very encouraging. Uh, I want to encourage you all to continue uh, in that. It might mean walking with someone through their struggles, you know committing to praying for them, encouraging them along the way, knowing that there are going to be setbacks, frustration at times. There's going to be uh, painful conversations at times. But you see, we don't just need a love that comforts. We need a love that confronts as well. Right? It means speaking the truth in love, as Paul said. Um, and that means, that means in a humble, gentle and very loving way, where people know that you're for them, right? Winning them, right? People need to know that you're for them and that you're not judging them. Uh, conversely, it might mean allowing other people to speak into your life. Or better than that, maybe asking them to speak into your life. How about that one to lean into? Okay? I know that there are people here who are probably not going to speak to me about my bad attitude unless they know me really, really well. 
And so that means they're probably going to go around feel, you know, thinking bad of me. Well, that's no good, is it? Uh, so I have said to you all here publicly, you've heard me from the front say, listen, if you see anything in me in terms of the way I speak or act that is in any way uh, unchristlike, please, you talk to me about it. Tell me. Tell one of that, my fellow leaders. I give you permission. All right? Why not give someone permission to speak into your life? That's uncomfortable, I know. But it will help us to grow. What about our marriages? If you're married here today, are we really going to insist that the health of our marriages is our own private business? That we don't need the input of others? Do you know so many marriages fail because one or both of the couples were too proud to lean into the discomfort of asking for help? And there are no perfect marriages because there are no perfect people. Right? Every marriage needs help along the way. And that's what the church is about. We're a family. Right? We, we help one another. We need one another. We learn from one another. We're meant to share our lives together. So what I'm saying is let's push back against radical individualism and the privatization of relationships. Okay? We need each other. Now, none of these things I'm talking about are too comfortable, are they? But if you will lean into them, they will help you to grow. It will help the whole body to grow up in love. That's the first thing, relationships. Second thing is diversity, going back to diversity. Because as we've seen, a cruciform community is a diverse community. Listen to uh, Paul again in Ephesians 2. He continues on saying there, consequently, you, and he's talking to Gentiles here, all the different people groups of the world, You, he says, are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. And in him, in Christ, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. And then Peter picks up the same theme in 1 Peter 2 where he says, You also, like living stones, are being built into this spiritual house. Right? The house that God is building for himself is made up of diverse people. Multicolored, multi-ethnic, but also multi-generational, male, female, married, singles. We're all living stones that are being fitted together. And we are not like prefab concrete blocks, right? We're not all uniform. We're all different, every one of us. And it's God who is fitting us all together to create this beautiful house for himself. And of course, it's our unity in diversity, it's our oneness that is such a powerful argument for the gospel because it causes people to ask questions. How can this be? That's how it was in the early church. That was their testimony. See how these people love one another, people from such diverse backgrounds. To become this house for God, it means we need to lean into our into diversity. And that might mean we've got to put aside our personal uh, preferences and be committed to building a household that goes beyond our individual or nuclear families. 
It means investing in God's household just as much as we invest in our own families. That's why many of us tithe here. We're, we're investing in God's household. All right? It means being committed uh, to God's household as much as we are uh, to our own. That means breaking out of our cliques. That means uh, going outside of our comfort zones to include people who are different from us, even if we can't understand a word that they're saying. You know, I sometimes find myself having a conversation with someone and I realize that they're just nodding politely and their eyes have glazed over. And actually, all this time, they've probably only picked up a fraction of what I've been saying because of my accent and probably because I mumble. And if that is you having that conversation with me, just listening politely, thank you uh, just for leaning in. All right? It means maybe embracing diversity in worship. I don't know if you realize, but the, the Africans amongst us here are already having to lean into our worship style. All right? Because we're very reserved in our worship. We tend to sing these sentimental kind of ballad-type songs. And so I think that the African members of our family here, I think they mostly accommodate us, uh, and, and they lean into their kind of uh, discomfort, because I know that some of them would just love to break out in dancing in, a, in a, a style that might be more enjoyable. Am I right? Yeah, okay, thank you. <laughs> thank you for leaning in. Thank you. Um, believe it or not, the Hillsong style of worship is not the defining standard. All right? It's a particularly white, young, evangelical style of worship. We just imagine that everyone else uh, must love it the way that we do. Well, no, they're just leaning in. And I love the fact that we do have some diversity in our worship. Uh, we have, obviously, Evan from South Africa leading us, uh, one of our teams, and and he will sometimes do a song that has a different rhythm or incorporates a different language. And he did one before going to India that incorporated a Hindi word. You remember that? And I, I remember because after we sang it, I, I, I was over here and I went to the back and I went to Esther over there. And uh, Abel and Esther, you see, are from southern India. And they're still trying to get to grips with our culture here and the language and everything. And I said to uh, Esther, what did you think? And she said, oh, I loved it. And you should have seen the, the look on her face, the glow. She said, I've got goosebumps all up around, right? Just one word. And can you imagine how included uh, Esther felt? Can I encourage you then not just to tolerate these songs, but to lean in and to learn to love worship in all its diversity I'm not saying you have to do all the actions and everything when, when uh, everything sort of gets us going. Uh, I know we have to lean in to all those things, but let's be prepared to embrace some diversity in worship. Because you know, God loves it. God loves it. But it's not just including people who are from different nations, uh, but also different generations and social status. And this is especially important for singles, uh, including same-sex attracted singles who are trying to live a celibate life. It's especially important for the elderly and particularly those who have been widowed. Um, it's especially important for the single parent and for the refugee whose family may still be in another country. And all of those people, incidentally, are in our church. Um, and it needs every one of us to lean in if they're going to feel that they really are valued and a needed part of our family here. Um, 
We need to each of us play our part in accepting and welcoming and listening and accommodating and incorporating and loving uh, this, these different people that we have in our midst um, who are part of this wonderful family and, as uh, so I say, especially those who are different from us. If we will lean into that, then we will be enriched um, and we will grow to become the household that God delights to dwell in. Can I just ask you, please don't buy the American dream that married with children is the ultimate goal. No, this is the ultimate goal, right? The household of God, right? The household of God, his wonderful, diverse family, all united together in Christ. All right, diversity. And then just one more thing. I'll close with this. Um, I won't spend long on this. The third one is the spirit. Because God is building a house in which his spirit dwells. All right, this cruciform community is a spirit-filled community. We should therefore expect the activity of the Holy Spirit in our midst. Listen to Terry Virgo. Um, He says this. He says, this is where this here, the church, is where um, God particularly manifests his presence on the planet. He manifests himself through diverse gifts. That's gifts of the Holy Spirit through prophesying, tongues and interpretation, visions, revelations, signs and wonders, and healings and empowerings. He's among us to change lives, restore marriages, convict of sin, to cleanse and sanctify us and fill us with his love. And we're called to lean into that because we're called to actively pursue right, the Holy Spirit, the things of the Spirit, Uh, In um, 1 Corinthians 14, the apostle Paul writes there in verse 1, he says, follow the way of love and eagerly or earnestly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy, he says, because prophecy builds up others. And then he he ends his chapter the same way. He, He says, therefore, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. Ephesians 5.18, be filled with the Spirit, it says, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Or the literal translation is spirit songs. I don't really know what that means in terms of speaking to one another with spirit songs, but it sounds a little awkward to me, right? I don't know about you. Um, But I know for many people, uh, particularly here in the Northeast, right, things like spontaneity, uh, in worship, people you know praying out from their seats, people dancing, uh, people sharing visions or speaking in tongues, or anything vaguely supernatural is very uncomfortable, if not weird okay um, but I just want to encourage you if that 's you to see what the Bible says about it, and if you see it there, lean into it, okay. Lean into it. Don't let your discomfort rob you of the gifts that God wants to bless you with so that you can bless others, okay? And so you can build yourself up as well. And uh, if you have questions about that, I'll recommend a book, uh, since we're out of time, uh, which is Surprised by the Power of the Spirit by Jack Deere. All right, so I recommend that book. So just to close then, um, if you're looking in this morning into our church, Um, or maybe you're not fully involved here yet, I want to ask you whether you would consider committing yourself to this 
imperfect, diverse, and awkward community of people. All right? Uh, and not because it's a good fit for you, but because it will fit you to become more like Jesus. And that's our hope, and that's our goal here. Let's all lean into the things that we might find challenging at times and allow him to change us and to grow us because that's what it means to belong to the community of the cross.